turn in your Bible to Zechariah. Zechariah chapters 12 and 13. The text tonight is in chapter 13, verse 1. The message is drawn from both chapters, chapters 12 and 13. Under the theme, a fountain shall be opened and then. A fountain shall be opened and then. May we pray. Our Father, we thank Thee for the power and presence and wonder of the Holy Spirit. We thank Thee that Jesus is all in all, that He's all He said He would be. We love Thee, Lord Jesus. We pray that tonight the Holy Spirit of God would speak to every heart here, that we might rejoice in the Lamb of God, that those who are here without Christ might be saved, come to the knowledge of the Savior, the Son of God. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. I want to read tonight the 13th chapter of Zechariah and then refer to the 12th chapter. In that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols out of the land and they shall be no more remembered and I also will cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to pass out of the land and it shall come to pass that when any shall yet prophesy then his father and mother who begot him shall say unto him thou shalt not live for thou speakest lies in the name of the Lord, and his father and his mother who begot him shall thrust him through when he prophesieth. It shall come to pass in that day that the prophets shall be ashamed every one of his vision. When he hath prophesied, neither shall they wear a rough garment to deceive. But he shall say, I am no prophet, I am a farmer. For man taught me to keep cattle for my youth. And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thy hands? Then he will answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man who is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd, the sheep shall be scattered. And I will turn thine hand upon the little ones. And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, Two parts in it shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left in it. And I will bring the third part through the fire, and will refine them as silver is refined, and will test them as gold is tested. They shall call on my name, and I will hear them. I will say, It is my people. And they shall say, The Lord is my God. In that day there shall be a fountain opened. Three times in the 13th chapter, the expression in that day occurs. Six times in chapter 12, the expression in that day occurs. Eight times in chapter 14, the phrase in that day occurs. Seventeen times in the last three chapters, in that day, in that day, in that day, in that day, again and again and again. What is that day? The choir sang about a great day coming when the saved and the sinner shall be parted right and left. Are you ready for that day to come? This scripture says, in that day, 
there shall be a fountain opened, a fountain for sin and for uncleanness. William Copper, who was nearly out of his mind, who lived during the age of the Great Awakening, he lived in England. Here in America, during the time was Jonathan Edwards preaching sinners in the hands of an angry God. In England, there was John Wesley and Charles Wesley preaching and singing the gospel. And William Copper, almost out of his mind, almost to distraction, wanting to commit suicide, heard the love story of Jesus and heard how there was a fountain open for sin and uncleanness. He went home, instead of committing suicide, he went home and wrote, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that blood lose all their guilty stains. The fountain is the fountain open for sin and uncleanness. And while this is a reference to the atoning work of Jesus, and you can't read very far in chapter 12, chapter 13, without seeing a connection between these chapters and the wonderful chapters in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John that speak of the atoning work of Christ. What are those wounds in your hands? They are wounds that I got in the house of my friends. In chapter 12, verse 10, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him. You can't read far in these chapters without seeing Jesus on the cross atoning for the sins of the world. And that's the heart of the gospel. Were there no cross, were there no day of atonement in which Jesus, our very Paschal Lamb, went to that cross and poured out his life, a sin substitute for the sins of a world, so that mercy there was great and grace was free, and pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Were there no Calvary, we wouldn't be here tonight. There wouldn't be any cleansing from sin. We would still be trying to keep some kind of a law and we would be scared out of our wits. There would be no assurance in our soul of heaven after death. When I stood to preach that funeral yesterday at Tim, Tim's funeral, I'd have had to say, now if Tim had any unconfessed sins on his soul when he died, if he had not kept the whole law, I guess he's not in heaven. But praise God, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners, sinners plunged beneath that blood lose all their guilty stains. And when we come to Christ with ourself, with our sin, with our life, and we put our trust in Jesus, he saves us. And it's a finished work. It is finished, Jesus said. What is finished? The work of the atonement for men's sins. And every page in this blessed book testifies to the validity of Christ's death on the cross as enough. It's not his death plus our works. It's not his death plus our living a good, clean life. It is his death and resurrection for salvation. And that's enough. That's it. That's enough. Now, while all that's true, this reference goes way beyond that. In chapter 13, as this 
book opens as this chapter opens Zechariah is saying in that day six times in chapter 12 three times in chapter 13 eight times in chapter 14 he's looking down the corridor of the years to something distant something way out there in that day in that day the day of the Lord that day of the Lord concept is thoroughly written all through the prophets Isaiah spoke about it Ezekiel spoke about it Jeremiah spoke about it Micah spoke about it Nahum spoke about it Zephaniah spoke about it Malachi spoke about it and Zechariah spoke about it in that day what is that day well in this passage I want us to notice ten things about that day in that day there shall be a fountain opened and notice who the fountain opened is to to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness this in the midst of a prophecy that looks beyond the prophets time beyond the first coming of our Lord beyond the agonies of the cross beyond the joys of the resurrection beyond the blight and turmoil of the years beyond the sin and shame of our times out to the future in that day what is it speaking of it's a day that has not yet come in that day there should be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem now I want to say preface what I say by saying that fountain is already available but it's not open to Israel yet it's already available it was available to Israel but they refused they rejected the Jews rejected and some in this auditorium have rejected the fountain has been opened but it has been rejected the scripture says there's coming a day when it will be opened in a new way to Israel and you can't understand that without looping it and if you have a pencil tonight you ought to draw a line between chapter 13 1 and chapter 12 verse 10 I will pour out upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication and they shall look upon one whom they pierced and they shall mourn for him as one that mourneth for his own son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn what is it saying it is looking down to a distant day when after the sin and shame of this world after the awful cataclysmic events of the tribulation in the end of the tribulation at the last day when the armies of the world are encompassed around Jerusalem to battle and all the armors and armaments of the world and the riches and the wealth are cast around Jerusalem in that last great battlefield in Megiddo's Valley of Jezreel or Valley of Jehoshaphat in that day when it looks like Israel is going under for the last time they have been a haunted people they have been a persecuted people when Eichmann put to death six million Jews in Germany in World War II that was not the only time the Jews were persecuted they have been persecuted over and over and over again and even today there is anti-Semitism there are people who hate the Jews and there are people who would get the United States to turn our backs against the Jews and admittedly when you go to Palestine and you go into the city of Jerusalem and you speak to a Jewish person or to an Arab person I don't know how you can do it without your heart going out to the Arabs because they're so lovable they're so open 
and there's something about them that makes you just love them and want to give them the gospel, but they're so caked in Muslim and in the faith of Mohammedanism that you can hardly get through to them. But the Jews are just as hardened in materialism, and so God wants to get through to both of them. You remember that both the Arabs and the Jews came from Abraham through Ishmael and through Isaac, and God loved them both. But he said, the land of Palestine, the land of Israel belongs to the Jews. It's God's place for them. That doesn't mean that God doesn't love the Arabs. That does not mean that God has no use for the Arabs. God loves them. And God in his infinite grace is going to take care of them. And they can be saved just like you and I can be saved. But there's a special dealing, a special administration of grace in God's book for the Jews. And if you can't see that, it's hard to understand anything else in the Bible. Because the Jews are God's time clock. And in this passage, God is speaking of a future day when the eyes of Israel will be opened and they will look upon him whom they have pierced. In that day when the armies of Jerusalem are encompassed about Jerusalem, the armies of the world are encompassed about Jerusalem, and they are putting to flight the Jews, and the Jews are having to flee. The Bible says in Zechariah 14, 1, in that day shall the Son of Man come, and his feet shall touch the Mount of Olives. And in that day, there shall be a fountain open to the Jews, a fountain for sin and uncleanness, and their eyes will be opened, and they will look upon him whom they pierced, and they will mourn, they will mourn. Look what it says in chapter 12. In verse 12, and the land shall mourn every family apart, the family of the house of David apart, their wives apart, the family of the house of Nathan apart, and their wives apart, the family of the house of Levi apart, and their wives apart, the family of Shemai apart, and their wives apart. Look at those groups. David is that group through which the line of Jesus was traced by Joseph. Nathan was that line of Jesus through which the line was traced through, through Mary. And over in the, in the, look at the family of Levi and the family of Shimei. They're the priestly families of Israel. And the families of God were traced through them. And this says that in that day, in that day, there's going to be a terrible mourning in Israel. An awful mourning. And they're going to mourn over the one that they pierced. Now that's what this is all about. Now notice the nine or ten things that is said concerning this fountain that is open. First of all, in chapter 12, verse 3, and in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all peoples. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces through all the nations of the earth be gathered together against it. In that day when the fountain is opened and Israel looks upon him whom they have pierced, and they begin to mourn in repentance over their, the way they treated their Messiah. In that day, all the armies that are gathered around who have tried to take Jerusalem, this scripture says Jerusalem will be a burdensome stone to them. They will wish they had never heard of it. They'll wish they had never come, for God will rain down upon them his judgment in that day. Secondly, look in verse 4. In that day, saith the Lord, I will smite every horse with terror and with his riders with madness and will open mine eyes upon the house of Judah and will smite every horse of the people with blindness and the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall be my strength, the Lord of hosts their God. What's he saying? 
He said, I'm going to cause mass confusion. All those armies gathered around Jerusalem and all their horses, I'm going to give them confusion. And instead of winning the battle, they'll lose the battle. In that day, it will seem they're winning at first. And then when the Lord comes to plant his feet on the Mount of Olives, all the armies that have gathered around, will, their horses will be confused. And incidentally, it's interesting they're using horses, isn't it? Why doesn't it say all their, all their big armaments and all their big modern warfare? I don't know. I understand in a recent release, listen to this, that China is building a new road through the east that will connect China to the Jordan River. And it's coming across the Euphrates. And they've already built a dam that is diverging and taking the water of the Euphrates and the Tigris rivers and damming it up so that the people can come through on dry land. And that's exactly what the Bible says will happen in the book of Revelation. We are closer to that day than we can even imagine. It's right at hand. God says in that day, in that day, in that day, those who come to battle against Jerusalem, I will bring confusion to them. Thirdly, look in verse 6. In that day will I make the governors of Judah like a hearth of fire among the wood and like a torch of fire in a sheaf, and they shall devour all the peoples round about on the right hand and on the left, and Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, even in Jerusalem. What's he saying? I'm going to bless the leaders of Jerusalem. I'm going to bless the Jews. And I'm going, my hand will again be upon them. Listen, dear friends, nobody who has ever treated the Jews illy, nobody who has ever, no nation that has ever persecuted the Jews has been prospered or blessed. One reason God has blessed America is because all through the 200 years, we've tried to be a friend to Jews. And there's so many Jews in America. Love them. You may not... You may not like all their ways, and you may think they own a lot of the monetary things of America, and they do, but praise God, God gave them that. And when you look upon a Jew, remember that your Savior by human lineage was a Jew. Love him. Don't ever be found taking, making smart cracks about Jews. God still has his hand upon them. Fifthly, fourthly rather, in verse 8, in that day the Lord shall defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And he that is feeble among them at that day shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like God. Now what's he saying? Look in verse 7 for us to get it. The Lord also shall save the tents of Judah first, and the glory of the house of David, and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem do not magnify themselves against Judah. He's saying, I will defend the inhabitants of the city of Jerusalem. I have my hand upon them, and I will defend them in that day because they will look upon me whom they have pierced and the fountain for sin and uncleansing and cleansing will be opened unto them. Now look in verse 8, the last part. And in that day shall be like David and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. He's saying here the house of David shall be like God. That is, the message of God will again come to the world through Israel. Now, the message of God is not coming to the world through Israel today. It's coming to the world through the church. You and I 
who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and who are made up, who compose this local autonomous church and other believers who compose other local autonomous churches and together those who are part of the churches of this world who are true churches we have the message that are to take the gospel to the world and the message of the of God is coming to the world through the church today not through the Jews but there's coming a day when the house of Israel will be like God to the world that's what it's saying and the message of the Lord will come again to the world through the Jews look in verse 9 and it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem I'm going to bring my judgment upon all the nations that hate Israel and who are lined up against Israel. You cannot prosper. No nation can prosper who rejects God and who rejects God's people and who treats the Jews in an ugly way. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. He that hath an eye to, eye to see, let him see. We're living in an age when this dear land of the free and home of the brave is being greatly hoodwinked. And we're exchanging the God of the Word. We're exchanging the principles of the Word of God. We're exchanging the truths of God's Word for a philosophy of men that tickles the ears and appeals to the reason of men. And instead of listening to the principles of God, we're saying we know better than God about things. And so, we scrapped capital punishment. We said we're too decent. We're too nice. Why, we're civilized. Let somebody shoot somebody. Let somebody kill somebody. Let them go out in cold murder and kill somebody. Why, we're so nice, we'll try to rehabilitate that person. We'll put him in a little place and a little resort area and pamper him and give him good food and give him a good environment and then let him back out so he can go kill some others. And then we say, what's wrong? Why is there so much crime? Why is there so much violence? Why, well, God said a long time ago, he told us how to deal with things like this in his word. Oh, but we're more civilized than they were then. But God's word has not changed. It is unbending and unerring. Same truth. I will destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And so we're being told today in America that that little nation in Israel, and this has bombarded the United Nations every day, every day, every time they're in session. If you get a report from the Wall, New York, the, the Wall Street Journal or, or one of the Time magazines, some of the magazines that carry news articles about the United Nations, every day the United Nations is told over and over and over and over and over Israel Jews don't really own that little land there. Let's push them out. Let's push them out. And so they want to create a new Palestinian state as part of that Jewish nation. And they want to, and so they voted that, you know all the votes they've taken. I'm not going to go into that. But I'm saying America is about to be hoodwinked. And when we're hoodwinked, we're done for as a nation. And we may already be. I'm not a peddler of garbage. And I'm not a pessimist. I believe the Word of God, and I believe we're on the winning team. The Lord God, omnipotent, is going to reign forever and forever. But we're living in tragic days. 
And I want to urge you, this is not in my sermon tonight, but I want to urge you to register to vote. I was amazed the other night when I asked how many people voted in the last election. I'm not going to say, you know, how many, but it was not what it ought to have been. And I love you. I'm not being rebukeful or ugly, but I want to say every Christian that loves God and is 18 years of age or over ought to go register. Get in the courthouse and register. You ought to go do it tomorrow and register to vote and vote. Find out who some Christians are with some godly consciences and then go vote. Amen. Find out and register your convictions because there's going to be a great day, a judgment of nations. But let's go on. Look at verse 11. In that day, they shall mourn. There shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem as the mourning of Hadaramon in the valley of Megiddo. The land shall mourn every family apart. What's that mourning going to be? Well, up till verse 11, in that day there was judgment brought upon all the people round about who had come to battle against Jerusalem. But in verse 11, it's a little bit different. Here, it gets back to the Jews, and it says there's going to be a mourning. And that mourning is going to be over the way they treated their Messiah. Now, I don't understand the Scripture altogether at this point. I'm confident that it's speaking of the Jews that are alive at that day. There are some people who say that all the Jews regardless of what age they lived in, will have a second chance to be saved because they connected with scriptures that say all Israel will be saved in a day. I believe these scriptures speak of the Jews that are alive at that time, not all the Jews. A Jew that dies today without faith in Jesus Christ goes to the same place a Gentile does who dies without faith in Jesus Christ, if I understand the scripture correctly. And again, I want to be governed by what God's word says. But here it's speaking of a day when God will give the Jews nationally speaking another chance to receive Christ and they'll receive him and they'll love him and they'll look upon him whom they have mourned whom they have pierced and they will mourn and it says there will be a great mourning and a great turning to God what is it that God wants in our hearts he wants a broken and a contrite spirit I believe if in this land of America there could be some broken hearts over sin if our hearts could be broken somebody said we ought to have had some kind of plan with the police force and forced the three young people who committed this ignoble crime this last week to have come to the service yesterday just to see what heartbreak, what sorrow, how it tore up hearts. It might have helped to soften their hearts or it might not have. But do you know what God says? He says in that day, there's going to be a great mourning and the Jews are going to be sorry for the way their nation treated Jesus. And they're going to mourn for him. And all the families will get together, the house of David and the house of Nathan and the house of Levi and the house of Shemai. And they'll weep and they'll mourn and they'll say, oh, why did we do that? And they'll receive him and love him and listen. If you're here tonight without Jesus Christ, if you will mourn in your heart, if you'll say, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I've rejected you. I want to turn from my sin and turn to Christ. There's mercy and pardon, pardon for you and for me. 
In chapter 13, verse 2, notice what happens. As a result of the morning, as a result of the turning, as a result of that fountain that is opened afresh for them, for sin and for uncleanness, look in verse 2. It shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord, that I will cut off the names of the idols out of the land. In other words, there will be such, such a turning to the Lord that Israel will never have any more idols. Materialism, Baal, all the other idols they ever had, there will not be any more idols because they will turn to God with all their heart and soul and mind and they'll go for God. Look in verse 4. It shall come to pass in that day, say the prophets, that the prophets shall be ashamed every one of his vision. What's this speaking of? In order to understand you need to read verse 3. It shall come to pass in that day when any shall prophesy, then his father and mother shall, who begot him shall say, Thou shalt not live, and so on. It's speaking of the false prophets. Now, the Jews were familiar with false prophets. In the day in which Zechariah wrote, there were false prophets who cried, Peace, peace, when there was no peace. It was an age just before the fall of Jerusalem. Zechariah lived after that, but just before the fall of Jerusalem, when Jeremiah was pleading with Jerusalem to repent and turn to God and was saying God is going to destroy Jerusalem, He's going to destroy Israel, and uh, Judah will go into captivity in Babylon, that there were prophets that came along and said, oh, Jeremiah, you're a little bit out of your mind. You're old fuddy-duddy. You're old-fashioned. Peace, peace. Everything's okay. And Jeremiah rebuked those false prophets, and they put Jeremiah in prison because of his rebuke of the false prophets. We have that day today. There are preachers who say it's okay to live any old way. It's okay to indulge in sin. It's okay to have premarital sex. It's okay to live any old way you want to live. God says in that day, there won't be any false prophets. There won't be any false preachers who get up and peddle things that are not true. There won't be any. Those false prophets will be ashamed of themselves. That's what it's saying. Oh, what a wonderful day. The day of liberty, the day of victory, the day of joy. When God's righteousness shall flow down like the mountains and like the great sea, and his righteousness will cover the earth. Look in verse 9, that same chapter. And I will bring a third part through the fire, and will refine them as silver is refined, and will test them as gold is tested. They shall call, call upon my name, and I will hear them, and I will say it is my people. And they shall say, The Lord is my God. In that day, those blessings, those wonderful blessings to Israel will be powerful. God says, though they've been brought through the fire, refined as silver, I'll test them as gold, and they shall call on my name, and I'll hear them. And notice I'll say it is my people. You remember the story of Hosea, his child, thou art not my child. God says there's coming a day when you will say, you are my child, you are my Lord. Now all those precious promises are things that will happen in that day. And in going through the prophetic studies of Zechariah, I could not be true to the word if I hadn't brought that to our attention. Historically, speaking of Israel. But in closing, let me say that those same truths are available to us. Those same promises very same promises. In that day, we can apply them to our hearts right here and now. In that day, 
The day that we receive Jesus Christ as Savior, the fountain is open for sin and uncleanness. That fountain is open tonight. You have some sins in your life, take them to Jesus. You have some ugliness in your life, take it to Jesus. You have some shame in your life, take it to Jesus. There's mercy and pardon with him, and he'll forgive you. I talked recently to a man about 30 years old who had messed his life all up, just totally messed up. Most people wouldn't even know it, that he was messed up and he knew it. When I talked about his relationship with God, with him, he said, Preacher, I try not to talk about that because my life is all messed up, fouled up. Sort of hung his head. He said, there's no hope for me. I have just fouled up and fumbled the ball, messed my life up so much that there's no hope for me. And I turned to Isaiah 118. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. I said, God means that. God means it. He looked at it. Oh, he said, that couldn't mean me. My life is too fouled up, too sin, too much shame. And he told me a story like I've not heard of shame, stain, ugliness. Just God and me were listening. I said, let's get down on our knees and pray. And we prayed. And I said something like this, God, this man has told me these things, but really he's been telling you these things. These are sins confessing from his heart. Now, Lord, help him to agree with God that these are heinous and ugly, and then to receive the blood atonement. That though his sins were as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And I showed that man how to give his heart to Jesus. And you know, the burden was lifted. When he got up off his knees, he said, the burden is lifted. He said, I've carried a burden that nobody knew about for years, but the burden is lifted. The fountain was open for him, and he accepted. That fountain is open tonight, and all the blessings that God promises to Israel in that future day will be yours right now. Here's what God will do. God will take care of your adversaries. That's what he said. I'll take care of your adversaries. If you'll let me deal with them, I'll deal with them. You try to deal with them yourself and you'll mess up. But you let me deal with them and I'll deal with them. And then God says, I'll surround you and I'll build a wall of fire about you and I'll take care of you if you'll let me. Now you take care of yourself and you'll foul up because you don't know how to take care of yourself, but you let me take care of you and I'll take good care of you. And he says, you thought you weren't my people. You thought you weren't any good. Maybe you had an inferiority of feelings like, like Brother Jack was telling us about this morning. But he says, if you give my life, your life to me, I'll take you and make something beautiful out of you. I'll make something, something glorious out of you. And this whole world, so filled with sin and shame, will look to you and will say, I'd like to have something like that guy has. And you'll know all along that there's nothing you have. It's all Jesus. It's all Jesus. If you'll give me the glory. So that's what God will do for you. He'll do it for you. He'll do it tonight. Right now, right now, just like that, if you'll open your heart to him. Because there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Sinners blunge beneath that blood, lose all their guilty stains. All of them. 
What we need tonight is freedom from guilt, freedom from anxiety, freedom from sin, freedom from worry. And the way we get that is to cast all of our burden upon the Lord. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what pain we often bear. Oh, what peace we often forfeit, all because we will not carry everything to God in prayer. Let's carry these things to God tonight. There's a sin fountain open, a fountain for sin, a fountain for cleansing. And this fountain is not for refreshing. Now, Jesus spoke of a fountain of living water that dwells inside of you in John chapter 7. And that's the precious power of the Holy Spirit. But in, John, in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 1, he's speaking of a fountain for sin and cleansing. And you have to get in that fountain before you can have the other fountain inside of you. And when you get in that fountain filled with blood and, and you're cleansed from the sins and the shame of the world and Christ dwelleth in you, then there's a fountain it blub, blub, bubbling up inside of you that just blesses your soul. And you can sing, it's bubbling, it's bubbling, it's bubbling in my soul. There's singing and laughter since Jesus made me whole. Folks don't understand it, nor can I keep it quiet. It's bubbling, 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 bubbling day and night because Christ dwelleth inside. Do you have that inside you? Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Our Father, thank you for the privilege of prayer. Thank you for these two glorious chapters that speak of in that day. Help us to look down toward that day in thanksgiving for what you will do for Israel. But may we also look at our own day. Thank God that what you can do for us today. We pray that not one man, woman, or boy, or girl will leave this place with a burdened heart tonight but will leave with a joy in Christ, knowing that Jesus lives inside of him. In Christ's name we pray, amen. May we stand, please. I would like to ask that no one leave during the singing of this invitation hymn. This is God's invitation. If you're here without Christ tonight, oh, how we need the Lord. You need the Lord. The greatest need you have is Jesus. Because when you have him, you have life eternal, life abundant. You have forgiveness and cleansing. You have the blood that cleanses from all sin. Would you tonight put your trust and faith in him? Would you for Jesus' sake? The invitation is like this. First, those who have never been saved, will you come to Christ with your sin stains and shame? Secondly, those who are already saved but maybe have not made it public, would you come confessing Christ openly as your Lord? And thirdly, if you're a member of some other church and God wants you at Glendale, will you come tonight, take a stand for Jesus, move your letter to this church and start serving Christ here? Then any way that God has dealt with you, maybe you need to recommit your life to Christ, would you come tonight surrendering to Him? While we begin to sing, who step out first for the King, Christ Jesus, getting rid of the burden that you've carried. God help you to do it.